Well, I am excited about faith part four as we finish our series on faith. It is going to be a powerful morning uh, for you to get this message because it goes against all human thought and human reasoning. You know, the reality is that for us as human beings, it's hard to believe that anything's free. It's hard to believe that things at times can be easy because we've always said if it's too easy, it must not be real. But you're going to get something this morning and understand something about faith this morning that I know is going to be powerful. Good to see you, Sean. I spent some time with Sean this week in church. I want you to pray for Sean. The doctors have given him uh, a bad report. Uh, but we're going to believe God. You know, we, 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 we sat down this week and the doctors have given him, you know, just they say his days are numbered. But I told him, Sean, you can't guarantee me that uh, I'll outlive you because my days are numbered too. You know, the reality is all of our days are numbered and all we can do is live each and every day to the fullest. And I believe that Satan cannot take any day less than what was ordained, Sean. And so church, pray for Sean and stand with him as he is. Uh, do you mind if I share a little bit? just fighting cancer right now, and they've given him a few months, but we believe, God, that we're going to see a miracle and a powerful thing in his life. Amen? So, Sean, we love you, but more importantly, God loves you, and it's exciting. Here's your Bible, Jason. Let me get it out of my way. Well, I'm excited this morning. We are going to be continuing on the study of faith, and we're going to talk about great faith today. Because how many know there's a difference between faith and great faith? Jesus distinguishes there is a difference between faith and a difference between great faith. And what I want to do today is help you unlock great faith. So it's not just faith in your life, but it's great faith in your life. And I want to help you understand that. See, the hearing of faith and the works of the law are total opposites. You have to get that. The works of the law, the Ten Commandments, and faith, the hearing of faith, are complete opposites. Why? Because law is about self-effort. Law is you into the equation. Law is about what you can accomplish and what you can do in self. But faith, there is no self-effort at all. And the problem in the body of Christ today is we have turned faith into works. We have told people that the reason you don't have faith or the reason you're not seeing miracles is because there is something you are doing or there is something you are not doing. And that's the reason you're not getting answers to your prayers. That's the reason you're not seeing miracles is because something is wrong with your faith. There's something you're not doing. There's something that you should be doing or there's something that you're doing wrong. And what we're doing is putting people under condemnation by saying there's some effort of self involved with your faith working or your faith connecting with God. There's something that you need to be doing in your own effort and your own power. Or we say things like, well, that's a huge miracle, so that miracle takes greater faith to see it accomplished. Like you need to be doing something more than normal to see a miracle like that accomplish. And what happens is people always feel condemned, like they're not good enough, like they're not seeing their prayers answered. Like, okay, if, if I, if I want to see this miracle answered, I need to pray for 12 straight hours. And if I can pray for 12 straight hours, then I'm twisting God's arm into answering my prayer. Or if I can fast for 40 days, if I, if I can just fast for 40 days, then I can twist God's arm into giving me the miracle that I need. How many of you understand what I'm saying? How easy it is for us to put faith under the law, for us to put faith into works, for us to put faith into self-effort. 
And we think that we can actually twist God's arm into answering our prayer if we would just obey the Ten Commandments and we would just go through our daily checklist and we would just pray for 12 hours straight or if we could pray all night long, just stay up all night long praying or if we could fast for 40 days, then we would twist God's arm into answering our prayers. But faith is the opposite of the law. And the more you become self-conscious And the more you look at your own self-effort, the more your faith is depleted and the more you destroy your faith. So we have to stop pointing to people at what is wrong with them and start pointing at people for what is right with them. See, it's not about what you're doing wrong. It's about what Jesus Christ did on the cross that made you righteous and that made you worthy. Because the reality this morning is the more people see what Jesus has done for them, that Jesus has qualified them, that Jesus purchased every single thing they will ever need with his blood that was shed on the cross, the less that they'll realize that it takes their efforts to accomplish anything in faith. We're going to set the foundation up from Galatians chapter 3. So those of you that have a Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to build the foundation for this message out of the first 14 verses. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and just write Galatians 3 and go home today and study it out for yourself because this is powerful, powerful stuff. This is the foundation you have to get to understand the rest of this message. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only do I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Let me ask you that question this morning. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Did you receive the Spirit by obeying the Ten Commandments? Did you receive the Spirit by doing this or doing that? Or did you receive the Spirit by the hearing of faith? Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? How true is that of the church today? You begin in the spirit. You get saved by grace. Salvation is this free gift of God. And then after you get saved, after you begun in the spirit, you think that you are now made perfect by the flesh. How many believers in the church today are mixing law and grace together? We get saved by grace. Salvation is this free gift of God. And then at some point after salvation, at some point after we're saved, whether it's a week later, a month later, or a year later, at some point we turn our Christian walk back to works of the flesh. We say, okay, now that I'm saved by grace, now I've got to work for it. Now it requires my effort to live by the Spirit. Now I've got to obey the Ten Commandments if God's going to keep blessing me. And if I want to be righteous, then I've got to work for it apart from accepting righteousness by grace. Verse 4, it says, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Verse 5, check this out. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you. How do you get the Spirit? You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't obey the Ten Commandments. It says, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? 
Is he giving you miracles by the works of the law? Is he giving you miracles because of your own effort? Is he giving you miracles because you can pray 12 hours straight or because you can fast 40 days or because you can obey all 10 commandments perfectly? Or does he give it to you by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of the faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many of you are, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. See, this is the problem. You think you can live 97% of your life under grace and 3% of your life under law. See, we, we have these weird scenarios where, okay, 80% of my life is covered by grace, but there's this 20% area that I need to work for. Or there's this 10% or 5% or 3% area that I need to work for. But the Bible says if you try to keep any law, that brings you subject to the entire law. So if you're trying to mix in any bit of law with grace, if you're, even if it's 1% of your life is mixing in with law, the Bible says it brings you subject to the entire law and puts you under a curse. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. You cannot get justified by the law. The just shall live by faith. Verse 12. Yet the law is not of faith. That's what we talked about. You've got to realize that the law, the works of the law, the works of the flesh are the exact opposite of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the foundation I want you to understand this morning as we get into our message is that faith and law are complete opposites. You don't work for faith. You don't earn faith. You can't do anything to make your faith any stronger. It is not of your self-effort. It is not the works of the law that make faith work. Faith in law, faith in self-effort, faith in self-righteousness are absolutely separate polar opposites in the Christian life. And unless you understand that, you're never going to have great faith. As long as you believe you have to do something in order to receive great faith, you're missing it. Now look at this. How many of you will agree with me that Jesus never wasted his words? Everything Jesus said, he said for a reason. Every word that was recorded out of the mouth of Christ was recorded for a purpose and for a reason. Jesus did not waste any of his words. Did you know in the New Testament there were only two people that Jesus said had great faith? Only two. Two people he distinguished. Two people he separated from everyone else. Two people, one a Roman centurion, two a Syrophoenician woman from Canaan. He said, woman, You have great faith. He told the Roman centurion, great is your faith. There is great faith in you. Only two people he ever said had great faith. 
So if you agree with me that everything Jesus said was important, that he didn't waste any word, he didn't, he didn't just blurt anything out accidentally, that everything he said had purpose and had meaning, then the first question you should be asking yourself is what made these two people different? What was the common denominator in their life that gave them great faith? Why did they have great faith when others just had faith? There were other times Jesus said, your faith has made you well, move on. But these two people, he distinguished differently from regular faith and said they had great faith. So what I want to do is I want to look at their stories a little bit and see if we can figure out this morning what the common denominator is, what separated them, what made these two people different than everyone else. Look at the Roman centurion, Matthew chapter 8. Beginning in verse 5, the Roman centurion. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed the same hour. I said, that's it. That was the, that's the denominator. This Roman centurion is a soldier. He's the centurion. He's part of the imperial guard. He's the special forces of the Roman military. He understands authority. That's where faith comes from, is he gets the authority of it. He understands that he says, go, and this person goes, and come, and this person's come. He understands chain of command. It must be the authority that gave him the great faith. But then you read the story of the Syrophoenician woman, and you realize they're complete opposites. He's a man. She's a woman. He's a soldier. She's a homemaker. So obviously that can't be the common denominator of their great faith. Look at the woman of the Syrophoenician, Matthew chapter 15. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Those are the only two people in Scripture that Jesus said had great faith. The Roman centurion, I have not seen such great faith. The Syrophoenician woman, woman, great is your faith. So what's the common denominator? Because they were different. One was man, one was woman, one was soldier, one was a homemaker, one was from Rome, one was from Canaan. What was the common denominator? Look at it this way. 
Both of them were Gentiles. Neither one of them were Jewish. That's the only common denominator you can see between the two of them. Because every other aspect of their life was completely different. The only same part of their life that each of them shared is neither one of them were Jews. They were both Gentiles. So what does that mean to us? That means neither one of them knew the law. Neither one of them grew up under the Ten Commandments. Neither one of them were were, were subject to the law uh, of, of the Judaism. They were Gentiles. They had no comprehension of the law. Do you know the law is what condemns us? It's only when you know the law that you are condemned. So the key denominator between both of these people, the Roman centurion and the Syrophoenician woman, is that neither one of them lived under condemnation because they had no law. They came to Jesus in grace. They came to Jesus in mercy. They came to Jesus without the slightest hint of condemnation in their life because condemnation is the deepest root of all of our problems in life today. Every single one of the problems we experience, the root of that is condemnation. You know, the original Hebrew translation of the word Satan is the accuser. Now, why did the Bible specifically call Satan the accuser? They could have called him killer. They could have called him robber. They could have called him thief because he was all of those things. But the Hebrew translation, the original Hebrew translation of the word Satan was the accuser. Why? Because when you are accused, you are condemned. When you are accused, you live under condemnation. When you have the law, then you live under condemnation. When you know you're supposed to obey the Ten Commandments and you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that, any time you fall short, you're condemned. There's condemnation in your life because you're not quite there. You haven't quite attained. You haven't quite achieved. You're not quite perfect enough. And there's this condemnation that comes on you that neither the Roman centurion and neither the Syrophoenician woman had because they weren't under the law. They didn't grow up as Jews. They didn't understand it. They were Gentiles, so all they could do was come to Jesus out of grace and mercy. The woman heard that Jesus had healed people and that Jesus loved people. And here's this rabbi, this Jewish rabbi that was going around benevolently loving and healing and helping people. And the Bible says she went to Jesus out of mercy. She wasn't trying to earn her miracle. She had no condemnation holding her back. She didn't have the Ten Commandments in her life. Well, how do we know the difference of condemnation and conviction of sin? Because that's a question I'm asked a lot. Well, you know, what's the difference between being condemned and being convicted? Well, easy. Look at John 16, verse 8 through 11. John 16, verse 8. And when he has come... He will convict the world. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Let me explain the difference between condemnation and conviction. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a Christian, if you are what we call born again, the Holy Spirit will not convict you of sin. Because the Bible is very clear that the only people who are convicted of sin are those who do not believe. The only one of these convictions that apply to you as believers is the conviction of righteousness because you are no longer under sin. When you were forgiven, Jesus forgave you of sin. 
You may still commit sinful actions, but you are not under sin. Sin is a state. Sin is a, you know, in Romans, the word sin is used 40 times in the book of Romans. 38 times it's used as a noun, twice it's used as a verb. So when they talk about sin in the Bible, it's not talking necessarily about sinful actions. The majority of time, it's talking about a state of sin. When you're convicted of sin as a believer, that is conviction coming from yourself of understanding that you're out of the Spirit and you need to change. The Holy Spirit doesn't convict believers of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts believers of righteousness. That's the difference. So when you're living under condemnation, that's coming from the law. That's coming from what the Bible calls the ministry of death or the ministry of condemnation. You know, the Bible calls the Ten Commandments the ministry of death. Why? Because when you put people under the law, you revive sin in their life. When you put people under the law, you're putting them under the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of death because no matter how good we are, we will never achieve perfection through our self-effort. You will never be good enough to be justified by God. That's why Jesus Christ paid your penalty for you on the cross to make you justified. You are justified by faith, not of law. Does this make sense? So the first thing you need to understand in having great faith is you've got to overcome condemnation. If you're going to have great faith, you've got to overcome condemnation. You have to realize you are not condemned. Because condemnation prevents you from having great faith. Condemnation tells you there's something you're not doing right. There's something wrong with you. There's something you're missing. There's something you need to add about yourself to the equation to see God move for you. Because God can't move in his own right. God needs your help to move in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? God doesn't need your help to move in your life. That is condemnation. We're never going to be good enough. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. If you have a Bible, look with me. Romans 8, verse 1, the famous passage on condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have a King James Bible or a New King James Bible, you'll realize that they added an extra sentence To that scripture. You see right here in the New King James, they added an extra sentence that if you look at the original Greek translation, if you're reading it out of an NIV Bible or a New American Standard Bible, you don't see the extra sentence because it's only the King James that added the extra sentence, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Why did the translators add this extra sentence in the King James Bible? I think because they had such a hard time believing it could be that easy. They just honestly believe it can't be that easy. There's got to be something else. You have to, you got to add self to the equation because you just can't get rid of condemnation by being in Christ. It can't be that easy. But folks, it is that easy. It is that simple. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, period. Nothing else added to it. No other prerequisites, no other conditions, no other adding yourself to the equation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Even when we sin as believers, there is no condemnation. Why? Because Jesus was already condemned for it. Let me explain something to you. If you fall into sin this Tuesday, coming up two days from now, 48 hours from now, if you commit a sin on Tuesday, guess what? 
Jesus already paid for it. Jesus was already condemned for it. So even if you sin 48 hours from right now in the future, you still can't be condemned for that sin because Jesus was already condemned for it on the cross. And I know this is hard to understand. Because we say, well, that's cheap grace. Well, tell that to the blood of Jesus, that his blood was cheap. See, if you realize how much of an overpayment Jesus' blood was for you, you would never say cheap grace. See, imagine, imagine Jason owes the bank $100,000. He owes the bank $100,000, and I love Jason. I want to bless Jason. I want to do good things for Jason. So I show up to the bank. I say, bank, how much does Jason owe you? They say $100,000. I said, here, here's a million dollars. No, 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 that, that's an overpayment. That's fine. I just want to show off my love for him. That, that's too much. We'll just keep the rest as a donation to the bank. I overpaid his debt. If you understood how precious and powerful the blood of Jesus is, you'll realize it is an absolute overpayment for your sin, no matter how dark, how dirty, how wicked, how messed up your sin was. His blood is an absolute overpayment for your sin. There is no condemnation. So how do we overcome the mindset of condemnation? You've got to learn that the Ten Commandments and condemnation are the same thing. The law and condemnation are the same thing because most believers spend all of their time disqualifying themselves from having great faith because they're living under condemnation. You're not having great faith because you think there's something you're not doing right. There's something you're missing. It can't, you know, it can't be as easy as just accepting faith in Christ. It can't be as easy as grace. I need to add myself to the equation somewhere for me to see this work. Romans chapter 4, verse 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs or have an inheritance, then faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, if you have to work for it to get the inheritance of God, then faith is useless. Faith is void. Faith is of no effect at all. See, what we like to say in the church is, well, there's nothing wrong with God, and there's nothing wrong with God's word, so there obviously has to be something wrong with me. If I'm not seeing the miracle and there's nothing wrong with God and there's nothing wrong with his word, then, then the last possible you know, a scenario is me. But the reality is there's nothing wrong with God. There's nothing wrong with his word. And by his grace, there's nothing wrong with you. The problem is when you live in condemnation, you can't have great faith. When you believe there's something you need to be doing to achieve your miracle, there's something you need to be doing to activate your faith, there's something that you're not doing right or you're missing or there's, no, it is grace, it is faith. You simply have to accept it. The first thing is you gotta overcome condemnation for great faith. The second thing is you gotta have boldness. There's gotta be boldness in your life. You, you, you just can't crawl into the throne room wondering whether or not you belong there. So many times you go to prayer meetings and you see people just sitting there cowering before God. Does God accept me? Does God love me? Am I worthy? Am I righteous? It, you know, will God allow me to be here? And they're always worried about whether they're accepted or whether they're loved or whether they're right with God or whether they're worthy. Those are the wrong questions to ask. You should never ask whether or not you're accepted by God. You should never ask whether or not God loves me. The only question you should ask, is Jesus Christ accepted? Does the Father love Jesus Christ? 
is Jesus Christ worthy to the Father? Because if Jesus Christ is worthy, if Jesus Christ is loved by the Father, if Jesus Christ is accepted and holy in the sight of God, then I am automatically accepted. I am automatically loved. I am automatically worthy. I am automatically righteous. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid my curse on the cross. He was condemned for me, so I don't have to be condemned for my sin. He paid the penalty for me so that I can live free. So the only thing that matters is whether or not he's righteous and he's worthy. Because if I am in Christ, then I am righteous and I am worthy by proxy of what he did. Look at the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son's father came running, wrapped him up in his arms before the kid had a chance to repent, before the kid had a chance to ask for forgiveness, before he could even finish his rehearsed speech. The father went running to him and loved him and accepted him. That's an image of God. See, we think righteousness is right doing, but it's not. It's right being. And when you become free of condemnation, you can be bold. You can walk in to the presence of God, and you can act like you belong there. And you can go in like God is my Father, and God loves me, and God wants to bless me, and God's going to do big things in my life. And I can walk in boldness and confidence that I deserve to be there. Why? Because I do deserve to be there. Not because Aaron Jane's a good person, because Aaron Jane's messed up. I don't deserve to be there because of Aaron Jane. I deserve to be there because of Jesus Christ. And if you don't see that, you're missing it. You're missing the beauty of the good news of Christ. Look at John 8, verse 10 and 11. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What did Jesus do? He gave her the gift of no condemnation. Jesus gave this woman the gift of no condemnation. Before he told her not to sin. See, that's the opposite of the church today. What we tell people to do is go and sin no more, and then we won't condemn you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, have you ever been to a religious church? Don't sin, and we won't condemn you. Jesus said, I'm not going to condemn you so that you have the power not to sin. See, no condemnation comes before living a life free of sin. People live in sin and bondage and and all sorts of dark secrets and, and problems and issues in their life because they're under condemnation, because they're under the law, because once they realize that Jesus says over you, neither do I condemn you, it sets you free from the law. See, the word from God to you personally this morning is you need to hear the word of Jesus say over your life, no matter how dark, dirty, ugly, messed up you may feel on the inside, you need to hear the word of Jesus right now to you. Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Romans 8, verse 32, I love this. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely, freely, say that word with me real quick. It's hard for Christians, but say it, freely 
give us all things. What part of that word says you have to work for it? What part of that word says it requires something from you to get it? If God didn't withhold his son from dying on a cross for you, then how can he not freely give you everything? If there's anything you feel like you need to earn, guess what? You're putting that above Christ. You're saying that thing was, was more valuable, that thing was, was cost more than the blood of Jesus. God can't freely give me that. i got to work for it. God can't freely give me that miracle. God can't freely bless me. God can't freely do this in my life. God can't freely, you know, I, I need something. i got to work for it. I've got to earn it. I've got to live right. I've got to obey the Ten Commandments. It just can't be free. And that's how so many people live today. They don't understand that freely. If he gave his son for you, he let his son be tortured and killed and die on a cross, then how can he not freely give you all things? And don't get mad at me. It's what the Bible says. God wants to freely give you all things. But you can't get it through the law. You can't get it through your self-efforts. You can't get it through working for it. The only common denominator between the two people with great faith was grace. Grace. The third thing I want you to see quickly as we close is when you see God's grace, he sees your faith. When you look at God's grace, God looks at your faith. And faith is what moves God. Faith is what sees things happen. So the last thing I want to talk about is unconscious faith. Because what happens when you get a revelation of grace, when you get a revelation of righteousness, when you get set free from condemnation and you realize that you are right before God, that you can go to God in grace, guess what happens? Faith becomes an unconscious part of your life. Faith becomes natural. It begins to flow. When you know that God loves you, when you know that you are righteous, when you know that you aren't condemned, faith naturally becomes part of your life. There was a woman with an issue of blood. She bled for 12 years, agony, suffering, pain. She hears of this this Jewish rabbi, this Messiah, this Savior. And she crawls through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 34, this is what Jesus said to her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. She saw Jesus' grace. He saw her faith. She went to Jesus not trying to earn it, not trying to work for it. She, you know, she realized the law couldn't save her. She suffered for 12 years with this issue, this problem. Some of you have been suffering for years of your life with addictions and secret sin and issues of your life and problems. And you've tried to break free. You've tried to w- try to be a better person. You try to work hard. You try to change. You try to live right. And you're doing everything through your self-efforts. You're under the law and you're condemned and you're never living up to it. How many of you have ever said, I'll never do it again? and then you did it again. And then you live in condemnation because I'm not good enough. I couldn't do it. I couldn't break free. See, this woman, 12 years suffered. She saw the grace of Jesus. She saw, she heard of this man that loved people, that healed people, that performed miracles. And it was the grace that drew her to Jesus. She thought, if I could just get the hem of his garment. And when she saw Jesus' grace, he saw her faith. 
See, what you need to start doing is you need to start looking at Jesus on the cross. You need to start understanding the blood. You need to understand with the power of the blood because the devil has no defense against the blood. You claim the blood, the devil has nothing against you. He has no defense against the blood. See, when we understand grace and faith happens unconsciously, and it is not, realize this, it's not your faith in the blood that sees the answer. It's the blood alone that sees the answer. It was the blood of Christ that freely gave you all things. Not your faith in the blood, it was the blood. Think of it like this. There was two families back in Egypt during the day of Passover. I want you to imagine two families. Moses says, I want you to sacrifice a lamb. I want you to put the blood over the doorpost. And wherever I see the blood, I will not harm the firstborn child. But if the blood isn't over the house, I'm killing the firstborn. And so all the Jewish people put the blood on the doorpost. And I can just imagine two families. One boy says to his dad, Dad, you know, we put the blood up. Do you think, do you think the blood's going to save us? And the father says, well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I want to have faith in the blood. I just don't know. You know, I'm doing my best to have faith in the blood. And I, I just hope, you know, maybe God will save us. And, and having faith in the blood will work. And he hears the screams coming from the Egyptian homes of the firstborn's dying. And they sit there in terror all night long, wondering whether or not their faith in the blood is going to work. Another family, they put the blood on the door. The son asked the dad, dad, did we do it right? The dad said, we did everything the Lord commanded, everything Moses asked, we did. And so let's praise God. And they just sang and they praised and they worshiped God all night long because they trusted God that the faith, the blood over the door would save them and spare them. Now the next morning, which of these families were spared during the Passover? Both of them were. Both of them were. Because the blood covered both of them. So the family that stayed up all night terrified, they were terrified for no reason. So it's not about having your faith in the blood. It's about understanding the blood will save you whether you have faith in it or not. It's not about your effort. The other family, in, in the same manner, the other family, it wasn't them singing songs all night. It wasn't their faith in the blood that saved them. It was the blood, period, that saved them. It is by grace. It is by grace. When you understand grace, faith becomes a subconscious part of your life. The common denominator between the Roman centurion and the Syrophoenician woman, neither one of them were under the law. They were under grace. They came to Jesus through grace. They came to Jesus trusting and believing that out of the love of Jesus, their need, their miracle would be taken care of. They didn't work for it. They didn't earn it. You've got to let go of condemnation this morning. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. There's so many people in the body of Christ today struggling with condemnation, feeling like it just can't be that easy. It just can't be that easy. I, I, I hear what you're saying. It just can't be that easy. There's got to be something I got to do to help God with this. There needs to be something that, that, that I can do. Yeah, freely receive. That's it. Just freely receive. It's not your efforts. It's not your works. It's not you being good enough. It's not you obeying the Ten Commandments perfectly. It's not you praying 12 hours straight or fasting for 40 days. All you need to do is freely receive. It is grace. It is faith, not law. But the first step for many of you, the first step for many of you is to be in Christ. 
The first step to getting out from condemnation is to be in Christ. And I'm not talking about believers who struggle with grace and law mixed together. I'm talking about those of you that have never accepted Jesus Christ, never become what we call born again. So with every eye closed and no one looking around, you've heard the good news of Christ today, that there's nothing you can do to earn it. You just have to accept it freely. Though The greatest gift of all is the gift of salvation. That was the first gift that Jesus paid for with his blood, was the gift of salvation. So those of you that need a relationship with God today, those of you that don't have any relationship with God, but you need that relationship with God, and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart this morning to say yes to this God that loves you and understand that it's by grace. You can't be, none of us are good enough. We're all, we all got sin. We all got problems. So it's not about earning it. It's about receiving it. So with every eye closed, no one looking around, if you need to take the very first step and receive the gift of salvation today, the gift of being a follower of Jesus Christ, the gift of being a Christian, the gift of taking the very first step to be in Christ. Would you raise your hand right now with no one looking around? Just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Raise your hand. Thank you. And then what I'd like to ask, there's a number of you that raised your hand. Those of you that are believers that are following Jesus Christ and you're struggling with condemnation, Do you know why you're struggling with condemnation? It's because you're mixing grace and law. I don't know what the ratio is. You may be 80% grace, 20% law, 90% grace, 10% law, 50% grace, 50% law. I don't know what the combination in your life is, but if you mix any percent, even 1% of grace and law, you're going to live under condemnation because you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to justify yourself through the law, justify yourself through works. It's by faith. It's by grace. And there's a lot of believers in the church today living under condemnation because they just don't believe it could be that easy. They just don't believe that God can love them, that God can accept them. They look at their life. They look at their sin. They look at the darkness inside of them. They looked at all their failures and their mistake and their past, and they just don't know how God can love them or God can accept them, and they feel like they've got to pay penance. They feel like they've got to earn it. They feel like they've got to grovel and work for the love of God. But the reality is Jesus became a curse. Jesus was condemned, so you don't have to be condemned. Jesus was a curse. Jesus fulfilled the law so that you could live under grace. So no matter how dark, how dirty, how messed up, how sick your past is, this morning you can stand before God righteous. You can stand before God holy. You can stand before God worthy because of Jesus Christ. If you'll just freely accept grace. And if you get a revelation of grace, faith, great faith becomes a natural part of your life. If you want great faith, I'm not giving you a step-by-step program to get it. I'm telling you, get a revelation of grace. Get away from condemnation. You can't earn great faith. You can't go through seven points on how to get great faith. It doesn't work that way. You get a revelation of grace. 
You let go of condemnation and faith becomes natural. It becomes subconscious. It becomes part of your nature and part of your being. So those of you struggling with condemnation and those of you that raised your hand for salvation, the the first gift, I want everyone that's in either one of those situations, as we close and worship, I want you to just stand up with me so that we can pray. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but just stand up. If you're struggling with condemnation, struggling with mixing law and grace together, or you you need to accept the gift of salvation, stand up with me. Thank you, thank you. Just keep standing all over the room. Just stand up, whoever you are. You need to know that you're loved this morning. You need to know that you're accepted this morning. Holy Spirit, right now, as John 16, verse 8 and 9 says, that you convict us of righteousness. That is the only conviction that applies to believers is righteousness. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, we release you in the name of Jesus to convict every person in this room and especially those standing on their feet that they are righteous because of Jesus Christ. Let them hear the words from Jesus right now. Let those words pierce their soul. Let it pierce their being. Let it burn into their heart and to their mind. Let them hear the words, neither do I condemn you. Jesus is saying that to you right now. Neither do I condemn you. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Everybody stand with me. We're just going to close with a chorus of nothing but the blood. We sang that in earlier service. It's an old classic hymn. I think it's so appropriate to close this service with today. Just one verse of nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. Say that word with me. Nothing. Nothing. You can't can't add anything to it. It's not your works. It's not yourself. It's not nothing but the blood of Jesus and myself, nothing but the blood of Jesus and my works, nothing but the blood of Jesus and the law, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Just sing that with me one time. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Father, thank you this morning for your grace. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you that you don't condemn us, Father. That you have set us free from the law of sin, set us free from condemnation, that we can accept you by grace and by faith. In the name of Jesus Christ, we love you. Amen. Y'all have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.